Hey everyone, uh, John and I had so much uh, that ended up going into this episode that we decided to break it into two parts. So when you get to the end of this episode, you'll hear the the, uh, the music fade out uh, just around the end of our discussion around HRV. Uh, that's okay. Uh, the uh, discussion around uh, breathing and how that links to HRV uh, is just is broken out into a second episode. We will release that later this week. Um, yeah, enjoy this one. Welcome to Finding Flow, where your hosts, George Russian and John Honeycutt, guide you on topics related to finding and achieving the optimal state of human consciousness known as flow state. They will share principles of neuroscience and peak performance, offering practical takeaways and actionable challenges to support you in finding your flow. And now, here are your hosts, George and John. Hey, everyone. Uh... Welcome to Finding Flow, episode eight. Um, I'm here with John. Good morning, as, everyone. Uh, as uh, as always, uh, John, how are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm in a, a great state and uh, very excited to be having the conversation with you today about breathing and heart rate variability. Uh, I'm excited too. This is uh, this is neat. This is uh, it feels like a throwback uh, in in a, in, a, in a way for me. This is. Um, Something that I know both of us have been working on for a long time, I would say, even compared to uh, a lot of the work around flow that we've been doing more recently. Uh, so it feels like a little bit of a throwback. Uh, I And I'm excited to, to kind of talk about, uh, I think this will be a good episode because we can talk about kind of where we came from, where we've been, and where we're going, and uh, with a... Uh, uh, and kind of kind of look at a, a, a long road. We have a lot of history here to talk about too. Um, have you been, have uh, uh, so you're excited? Have you been up to anything interesting lately? Uh, spoiler alert: I know you have, but I'm just I'm teeing you up here. So what 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 have you been up to, John? I would love to share what Bonnie and I, my wife Bonnie, did over the weekend. But before I do, I just I love that you talked about the throwback because. In my coaching practice, you were literally the first coaching client for whom we started looking at heart rate variability or HRV as a core metric of both physiological and psychological well-being. And so we've got, what, a three-year kind of track record of looking at these kind of metrics in a clinical or a coaching um, environment for both performance and athletics. Uh, So... I think this is gonna be it's gonna be a great conversation. So um, yeah, yeah, agreed. This weekend, Bonnie and I did a uh, we joined uh, fifty five thousand of our closest friends from all over the world at a virtual personal development event put on by Tony Robbins and his team. It was called Unleash the Power Within, and uh, it was great. It was four days, about fourteen fifteen hours a day, um, live streamed into our living room. Uh, my mom joined us, which was amazing. I didn't expect that. We got a ton from the event. We're uh, excited to continue doing some training with uh, with Tony Robbins' team throughout the year. But one thing, if I can, I'd like to just share one of the things that I got from the event was Tony had a distinction that he called either a beautiful state or a suffering state. And I think in our conversation today, that'll be a useful distinction. And he defined a beautiful state as when your body and your mind and your emotions and your spirit are up and you're open, and you're relaxed, and you're ready, you know, like you're in that sort of peak state that we've been talking about, versus being in the state where you're suffering, 
where you're anxious or depressed or frustrated or overwhelmed, both from a body or physiological and a mind, psychological perspective. And so a lot of the work that Tony and the other presenters did through the weekend was designed to get us and and sustain us in a beautiful state. So literally every 15 minutes or less, we were up on our feet, jumping up and down, dancing, screaming, doing um, breathing exercises, like specific breathing interventions. The idea being that if we could maintain that higher level or that beautiful state, the information we were going to receive was going to actually get transmitted to that long-term storage that we talked about last week and stick. Uh, And we would just be able to go for a 14, 15 hour day without a degradation of our energy or our willpower. And it was, it was fantastic. That's, uh, um, that's awesome. I've been in, and I have, I have not taken any coaching with Tony Robbins, but uh, I've taken, uh, taken on coaching that has gone certainly over the length of a day uh, like that. And um, it can, it can kind of wear you down over time. And so I, I think it's uh, it's telling that uh, someone like Tony Robbins, who has tons of experience uh, running these running these type of events, that's how he sets his up. Uh, probably probably intentional, mm-hmm. as we were, you know, as we were discussing before, pro- probably on purpose. So what about you, George? What have you been up to? Oh, geez. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I've been, if I'm, if I, maybe this is a cop out, but I've been very busy with work, <laughs> which is, uh, which is really great. Uh, like in a good way, good, 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 busy. Uh, my, uh, my company's up to big things right now. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been great. Uh, I've been, I've been swept up in that in a, in a, uh, in a, in a good way. And I've been working on, uh, new problems, which is, uh, like the most fun. So I've been working on a lot of new problems lately. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah. for our listeners that can't see you, we're dealing with the one quarter view of George's face again. So if you liked last week's episode, you're going to love this week's episode. Also, again, the mustache is completely <laughs> on point. We've got to get some pictures out to our, <laughs> to our listeners, but the, uh, the mustache is beautiful today. Yeah. Just we'll zoom in on that. Yeah. That's <laughs> Uh, well, before okay, well, good. That's perfect setup. Uh, we'll uh, perfect, <laughs> perfect setup. We'll uh, we'll jump into so we're, today we're going to talk about a um, uh, couple different things. We're going to talk about uh, heart rate variability um, and and some uh, uh, why that's important. Some compo- uh, what 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 goes into that? What goes into monitoring that? Why we might be interested in in, in monitoring our heart rate vari- variability, and then kind of as a as a, uh, uh, as a as a as a logical next step, we're going to talk about breathing uh, a- after that. So we're going to we're going to define a few things up front, uh, John. I think we probably want to start uh, by just defining what heart rate variability uh, is. Mm-hmm. I don't think that has to be too complicated, and then we'll kind of jump into. Yes, what, what goes into that and, and, and go from there. Well, before we get into the definitions, I just want to center people with why I think this conversation is such an important one um, for, for you to attain flow states and for you to be in that mode of peak performance. It's really important for the listener to be able to master what we would call the autonomic nervous system. So we'll start by defining the autom- autonomic nervous system and kind of talk about how that system works, and then we can we can dive into HRV or heart rate variability, um, and also breathing because HRV 
management and breathing practices are ways to master our biology, ways to master that autonomic nervous system and have it work for you rather than against you. Um, and for those of you who, <clears throat> excuse me, could use more energy in your day or have better digestion or have better mental clarity or be in a better mood, or you're looking for better health outcomes, this conversation is extremely relevant um, and taking advantage of and being responsible for your autonomic nervous system through things like HRV and breathing is a, is a new skill set, hopefully, that you'll be able to take on after this conversation. So do you want to, should we jump into the autonomic nervous system? Yeah, let's do that. Do we want to start with uh, maybe some of the larger, com- what what makes up the, the autonomic nervous system and, and go from there, kind of the components of it? Yeah. I mean, well, at the, at the highest level, your nervous system is, uh, you know, your central nervous system is your brain, your spinal cord. And then there's something else called the peripheral nervous system, which, you know, governs other bodily functions, your muscles and things like that. And um, there's something called the enteric nervous system, which is a part of that. And within that system, we have the ANS or autonomic nervous system. This may be new for some people, but you will have heard of things like the fight or flight reflex or potentially the rest and digest reflex. These are referring to what we call two branches of the autonomic nervous system, both the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Yes, uh, excellent. And I I think, yes, a lot of folks probably have heard heard of that. And uh, I think that uh, the... um, well, let's let's just stay here for a second. So, looking at the sympathetic nervous system specifically, right when uh, we're in more of a fight or flight mode, would that be right? Am I mm-hmm. characterizing that mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, what what happens is with, uh, uh, and this is uh, certainly uh, certainly an- anecdotal, but this is what what happens when you start to train. Uh, I could speak from an athletic standpoint. I could speak from a professional standpoint. Um, there are times like uh, uh, I'll, I'll be specific. When I started training jujitsu, a lot of what I was doing, a lot of my practice was done in in like a like a fight or flight mode. Under you were under stress, uh, not just not just physically but mentally a lot. And then as you uh, improve, as you get better, uh, it's less so because you you know what you're doing. So you're there's less there's less fight or flight. So when you watch like. Uh, an MMA fighter or something like that. Um, they're, 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 uh, uh, certainly energized and ready to go, but they're not like nervous that they're going to die or something like that. They're very, they're very clear about what their, what their objectives are and their, and their, and their plan is in the same way. Uh, there are lots of things maybe, maybe going into a, a, a meeting or something like that might, that might, that might cause some folks a lot of, a lot of stress or something like that initially, but then maybe, you know, you go into a lot of meetings, maybe you're a salesperson, you go into, a, you know, you're in your thousandth sales call, you don't, you're not, you don't feel uh, under the same load of stress as you would, you know, maybe making your first cold call or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think um, we can, we look at these in, in buckets. That's not really how um, we, we, we tend to look at them when we're measuring something like HRV or we're getting an HRV score from our, our, uh, uh, like an app on our phone or something like that. But in in real life, that's uh, that's how we can think about uh, uh, training, kind of training out stress in certain areas, and we'll get into uh, ways that we do that around breathing and things like that as well, which 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 really helps uh, um, uh, uh, raise our HRV. We can talk about that too. But these are some some things that certainly for me have have uh, have been impactful. Is ca- kind of uh, framing it that way in my mind about how I how I'm, how I'm training different things in my life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that you're pointing towards is that this is a continuum. Both the whole stress response is a continuum. Um, the balance between the two parts of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic, is a continuum. And one side or the other is not bad. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not bad to be in stress. It would be bad to be in stress beyond the point at which that would be useful. From an evolutionary perspective, if, you know, the the oft-used example is you see a saber-toothed tiger and it starts to chase you, you want your body to shift into a sympathetic mode, which means you're getting cortisol and, and adrenaline and other kinds of hormones, which are going to raise your blood pressure, raise your heart rate, uh, arouse your muscles, give you better vision so that you can outrun the tiger, or if you have to, turn around and fight for your life. In nature, we see this with gazelles. When they sense a predator, all of a sudden the gazelle will go into a heightened state, physiologically and psychologically. But literally the moment the danger is passed, they immediately shift back into the parasympathetic side, or what we'd call rest and digest, because they've got that resilience. I like to think of it as like the gas pedal and the brake pedal in a car, it certainly puts the car under stress to floor the gas pedal. But that's kind of what the car is designed for. The car is designed to go and that's an inherently stressful activity. But when you take your foot off the gas and then you put your foot on the brake, you want that system to be responsive. It's the same with working out. When you go in to do your jujitsu workout or if I go and I lift weights, I'm going to move into a sympathetic um, system as I'm doing that, which is appropriate. What I don't want to have happen is four hours later, still be in that state with an elevated and aroused system chronically. Or as you talked about going into a sales meeting or going into a business um, scenario, all of a sudden you feel there's a threat. It's not a saber tooth tiger, but potentially, you know, you're dealing with uh, some work-related threat to your ego, and then hours later, you're still dealing with that. That's what we want to avoid here. Yeah, yes, uh, absolutely. And I, I'm glad you, you connected the dots there because that is that is uh, in um, that's how that's how we were built. Um, and so it's not an accident. It's not a problem that we're that we feel that way. Uh, but um, it's also something that we can uh, we can work on. We can work on having a have. Um, uh, uh, we can work on, uh, well, we can start by understanding kind of where we, we are, where we are at and then, and then working on those, th- working on, uh, um, uh, kind of mitigating, uh, th- those stresses as best we can. And to your point, more importantly, uh, being stressed when appropriate and then, and then, uh, understanding how to, um, how to taper off, how to, how to, how to back off, uh, back away from that state. Um, John, do we want to talk about, want to get into maybe uh, homeostasis from here and, and kind of continue? Or do you want to say a little bit more about sympathetic and parasympathetic states before we move on? No, I think it's a good time to talk about homeostasis, which is your body's tendency to kind of move towards balance and equilibrium. Um, there's a quote by a doctor named Leia Lagos. We'll reference her book, Heart, Breath, and Mind, which is looking at the correlation between the autonomic nervous system, heart rate variability, and breath. She says uh, most adults have a dominant sympathetic nervous system and an underactive parasympathetic system, which is like driving a car that has no trouble reaching a high speed, but is incapable of slowing down. And that is our typical um, society today. 
we, we see people in that state. So homeostasis would be that balance point <clears throat> where you have a, a good balance between the parasympathetic side and the, and the sympathetic side. You're able to switch into whichever one is going to serve you most at the time. And ultimately, we're shooting to be just slightly parasympathetic leaning so that you can become aroused and act as you need to and then shift into that kind of off state. But homeostasis is where, you know, with the autonomic nervous system as the control mechanism, this is how your body regulates your temperature, your blood pressure, your heart rate, your respiratory and breathing rates, metabolism and digestion. Um, that's excellent. I, I, I think uh, um, both of us have or, uh, may, may, or maybe still do. I, I don't I don't know, John, but we've used the uh, Elite HRV app um, on our phones. And so what that allow you to do is if you have a, uh, a heart rate monitor, you can hook up hook up this app and it will give you a score in the morning. And a score of 10 essentially leans slightly uh, parasympathetic, as John was saying. So that was that's a that's like a really good score when you wake up. And then um, if you think of it like a uh, like a gas gauge, uh, it, you can you can kind of fall to either side of that number 10. Uh, so you can go nine, eight, seven, six, five, and so on, uh, all the way down the parasympathetic side or the sympathetic side. And uh, what happens is you'll see that as uh, you improve your sleep, as you improve your uh, your diet, your breathing, um, as you focus on your heart rate, or which 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 could be done through like like exercise. If you if you exercise, the better shape that you're in, typically the lower your resting heart rate will be. Um, the the better your HRV. Or the higher your HRV will go, your your actual HRV number, and then the higher your 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 uh, your HRV score in this instance would, would would become the closer to slightly parasympathetic you become as a as a as a resting state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we should probably we can come back to the autonomic nervous system and and some of its impact on the flow cycle in a little bit, but I think we should kind of we should spend some time defining heart rate and heart rate variability um, as impactors and influencers of the autonomic nervous system's balance and homeostasis. So heart rate variability or HRV as it's typically called is just, it's the natural rise and fall of your heart rate. And that's being responsive to what's going on in your, your body and your mind and your emotions and your spirit, as well as in your environment. And typically, traditionally speaking, a higher heart rate variability score is correlated with greater health and emotional resilience. So HRV is a measurement. It's a, it's a metric, and it actually quantifies both the activity of the autonomic nervous system and the balance. So we're talking about you want to get in that homeostatic state. The heart rate variability is a single score, a single thing that you can track as a metric, which points to the quality, quantity, and balance levels of that system. So for people who are looking to improve health outcomes and performance outcomes, HRV is a very potent single metric that is um very very meaningful yeah and it's um uh i I think you put it well but that the the way that i've always thought of it is or or i I think this is actually what what it is but the 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 variation in time basically between your heart rates that that's what that's what we're looking for between your heartbeats rather and um uh we've kind of touched on this but your hrv if we want to like just create general buckets your hrv is going to increase basically when you're relaxed and you can become relaxed in all sorts of different ways. We could talk about that. And then it's going to decrease under stress, right? So you're going to have a lower heart rate 
uh, or excuse me, a lower HRV, uh, you'll have a much higher heart rate, you have a, a lower HRV uh, at the end of a maybe a really stressful workout or something like that. Or typically, uh, frankly, at the end of the day, uh, you're going to have a lower HR- HRV score than you would uh, when you first wake up. So we can kind of think of it, think of it that way um, mm-hmm. a- 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 as well. So let's distinguish heart rate and heart rate variability for people for whom this is brand new. So heart rate is just, you know, it's what it sounds like. It's the number of heartbeats that you have per minute. So we are often talking about things like resting heart rate and, you know, like an athlete, like a, a, some, somebody, because a professional athlete is going to have a very low resting heart rate, maybe in the 40s, or maybe in some cases, like Michael Phelps, I think, has a resting heart rate in the high 30s, which is insane. My resting heart rate is in the 50s. Um, other people's resting heart rate may be higher or lower than that. Then heart rate variability, as you said, George, it's the change in time between successive heartbeats. And on first blush, you might think that you want a specific, you know, like a very rigid metronomic kind of heartbeat, but you don't. You want it to go faster and slower because it's a sign of a resiliency. It's a sign of being adaptive to what you're dealing with. If it's metronomic and perfectly exact each time, that means you you actually don't have the capacity to flex and adapt to what's going on. That's how we would know you're a robot if if you had a, right, 60 heartbeats a minute, exactly one second in between each of those heartbeats. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, another thing I think is, is worth mentioning, specifically with resting heart rate while, while, while we are here, um, you'll see with uh, um, uh, re- um Resting heart rate and with uh, heart rate, I will say, uh, in, in action uh, as a uh, – some of this is uh, – I think it's important to, to, to touch on. Some of this is gen- is genetic. There is a component to your resting heart rate and to uh, ultimately your HRV that is genetic. What we're focused on, though, is what we can train, what we can, what we can, what we can work on. So um, uh, don't – Point being, don't get frustrated if, even if you're a, a really athletic person, if you can't get your heart rate, you know, as low as Michael Phelps or something like that. That's not, that's not a, that is not a goal. Um, that's, uh, that happens to be how he is built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point, especially for people like me who are very competitive and like to compare scores uh, between, you know, people in our peer group. So your heart rate, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability are all very personal metrics. And you're pointing to something that's really interesting because there's um, there's both a micro level and a macro level view of this. In the micro level, you're looking at things like heart rate variability to see kind of how am I doing today? How am I doing in this moment? What is the impact of this particular activity on my autonomic nervous system's resilience? But then over time, you're looking at trends and you're looking at baselines. And so as an example, when I started uh, measuring my heart rate variability back about three years ago, uh, I really was in a phenomenal physical shape from an athletic perspective, but my autonomic nervous system was not in great shape. My heart rate variability as a man in my mid forties at that time was uh, in the low forties. Now that number is maybe not meaningful to anybody, um, but over time, over the last three years, I've trained it. So I'm in the low sixties. So it's a slow, ongoing process. Um, I was pretty tightly wound and was dealing with PTSD coming out of some childhood trauma, and I was dealing with some anxiety. 
And so I was working with things like meditation and breathing, but without having a way of measuring it and getting immediate feedback, I, I kind of was confused as to which actions I was taking were actually having a positive impact on that sense of becoming more relaxed, becoming more calm. Kind of like our conversation last week about peacefulness or calmness as a trait rather than as a state that you can achieve. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I think it's, um, you point to something there. It, it's not, um, it's not an accident that uh, athletes put so much time into uh, not just training their specific sport, not just the skills that are necessary to train their specific sport, but also uh, diet, which is certainly f- fuel, fuels the body right for for that sport. But as as we know, um, uh, having a uh, a clean diet that works well with your with your body uh, that also helps with things like digestion, with helps with your sleep, uh, things that that are going to raise your uh, Having have, they're going to help raise your HRV, uh, and athletes also focus uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. Especially, I, I think it's more um, are, uh, folks are more open about it now. But they're 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 highly in tune with uh, their mental state, and so they practice meditation. Uh, they practice um, uh, different, di- and they might not call it this, right? Not every athlete calls it this, but they 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 practice. Uh, uh, um, lots of athletes practice ways to get into a flow state, and that's not uh, that is not a, that's not an accident. They know that that leads to peak performance when it you know when it counts. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a single Olympic level athlete or a high level elite athlete on the planet that is not looking at heart rate variability and tailoring their training programs to both honor where they're at in the moment as well as train for longer term resilience. We've all seen those stories in sports, whether it was Greg Norman in the PGA or other examples where somebody has all of the physiological skill. They've trained their body, their strength and conditioning is there. They've got all of the technical skill of the game, but then they they crack. There's something about the pressure of the moment that they all of a sudden their game falls apart. Maybe a tennis player misses a serve or double faults, and then they all of a sudden they start playing at you know 50% of their capacity. That's an example where their heart rate variability in the moment tanked and they went from a parasympathetic dominant side to a sympathetic dominant side. So we've seen that with cognitive athletes, quote unquote, people like stockbrokers who are trading on the the stock exchange floor, very stressful environment. These people are, they know their game. They have all of the skills. What's going to separate people in those kinds of competitions is the ones who have the emotional resiliency, the ones who can stay calm under fire. And that is a factor of intentionally and over time training heart rate variability. So this isn't just for the elite cognitive athletes or the elite physical athletes. This kind of work uh, can be done by anybody and should be done, in my opinion, by everybody and with the technology that we have today, what, what you used to have to go to a clinic or see a doctor for, now super inexpensive wearable technologies uh, paired with smartphones make this a, an easy, non-invasive process for anybody. So maybe could we, could we talk a little bit about kind of equipment? I think we've touched on some, some apps and some yeah. straps and stuff like that. So, John, what, what, do, you, what do you use uh, to track, maybe we'll just say uh, heart rate variability. What do you use to track your heart rate? 
Yeah, so I use the uh, the Polar H10 heart rate monitor. It's the current kind of flagship product by Polar. Uh, they sell for you know between eighty and eighty five dollars, depending on the color of the strap that you get on Amazon. Uh, and out of the three that I've looked at, it's the least expensive and I think the most functional. Um, Elite HRV, um, which is the app that I use, they've got a finger-based sensor called the CoreSense, which sells for about $150. And then you had talked last week about the Whoop Strap. And the Whoop Strap is a wrist-based, kind of like a watch that you could wear that'll track HRV. Um, the Apple Watch will track heart rate, but it's not super precise. For me, I think the the polar strap because it's a chest-based strap. It's worn around your uh, around your body, underneath your clothes, with the sensors up against just below your sternum, and it's super super accurate. Um, so I use that in the morning, every morning, for a couple of minutes to do a daily HRV readiness check-in, and also to to establish and maintain a baseline. Um, do you? Um do you, do you use that then? Because uh, I actually don't know. Do you, will you use that in um, uh, during certain activities as well, like the the heart rate strap or 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 anything else? Yeah, so I'll I'll use a heart rate strap like the Polar H10 for a couple of different uh, scenarios. If I'm doing cardiovascular exercise, I found it very useful to start training different types of cardio based on the heart rate zone. So the Polar app that I use, which is called Polar Beats, it's a free app that you can get when you get the strap. Um, we'll start putting you in these typical, there's like five zones that are color coded. Um, if anybody's gone to an Orange Theory fitness class, it's kind of based on getting up into the higher heart rate zones. And you can actually train for different things. If you want to lower your resting heart rate, you can train up in the high levels, the red zone. If you want to do, you know, there's some I don't know, there's some wonky science about keeping in the low zones for fat burning, which I don't actually agree with. But the bottom line is you can target your heart rate to the kind of activity you're doing. So if you're doing high intensity interval training or Tabata style, you can actually see when my heart rate gets into the blue zone or the, the orange zone, I'm going to take taper off the activity a little bit until it gets back into the green zone. And then I'm going to move it up. That's a much more customized and personalized way of training than just timing your Tabatas or timing your hit cycles. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I I I, um, I train uh, I train by heart rate almost uh, almost exclusively now on the on, on the bike. So I, I I also use the Polar uh, uh, what is it the H10 mm. chest strap, um, and I also agree that that's the way that's the way to go. Every every serious professional cyclist runner like you they well i shouldn't say that runners don't necessarily a lot of runners will use will use watches but uh cyclists certainly use the uh, chest straps um and uh i find it to be pl- plenty accurate um it also allows me so i'm glad you kind of touched on the heart rate zones um i have a, a head unit which is like a little like a little computer like a little bike computer um that actually communicates with my uh my uh, chest strap. So, um, at any given moment, I can know my, I know my exact heart rate if I'm interested in that, which usually, uh, riding, I'm not, your heart rate is usually a little bit behind, uh, your effort. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I don't, I don't really, uh, chase that, but, um, I do use heart rate zones and 
for the longest time I was, I was using uh, the five, five heart rate zones, and I've recently shrunk that to shrunk that to three uh, for cycling specific re- reasons. Uh, but the idea is the same. So um, I want to know uh, basically when I'm in a uh, um, kind of my my lower heart. I have a big low heart rate zone uh, that that extends up to. I don't, it doesn't matter where it extends to. And then uh, what's important, though, is uh, I, I want to know when I'm in the orange, when I'm in the red, um, when I'm pushing into like a VO2 max effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important for me to know for just like you talked about, like a, an interval style training. I need to know what that interval is. And and um, uh, outside of using uh, like on a bike, you could use power. Uh, but if you're uh, if you don't have a power meter, I don't have a power meter. Uh, that's a that's one way that I can I can train that as I can I can ensure that I'm uh, pushing myself into a VO2 max effort and thereby as you as you uh, mentioned uh, I'm I'm trying to improve my HRV o- over time and and have done so so that's uh, just a, a couple of, I guess activities you know we where, where we, we you could use the heart rate monitor it doesn't necessarily have to be just in the morning you can use that while you train as well yeah one of the things that I, I want to really underline that we're pointing to here is that using inexpensive and readily available wearable technologies today gives you a personalized approach to both your exercise and movement, as well as things like breathing and meditation. So you can do away with some of these rules of thumb, which are so broadly applied that they're often not useful. Weightlifting is another place where I'll use the strap because typically you hear, you know, you're going to do three sets of eight to 10 repetitions of a specific motion, and then you're going to wait one to two minutes in between. So I would rather, instead of just setting a timer for 90 seconds, I would rather watch my heart rate, see when it gets to a specific point that I've intentionally set, and then use that to guide the timing of the exercise. The other place where I'm using the strap outside of activity would be for looking at the impact of a specific um, meditation or breathing pattern on my heart rate variability in the moment. So this was interesting for me because some of the meditations that I was doing, I thought for sure I was getting calm and relaxed. I thought for sure my heart rate variability would go up and it actually was the opposite. My heart rate variability was going down and it helped me tune in a way the kinds of meditations, the kinds of energetic practices, like doing a Tai Chi. For example, I can do a five to 10 minute basic Tai Chi pattern and it'll add 10 points to my heart rate variability in the short term. So it's giving me clues as to what works for me right now, this me in this moment, um, to get that greater sense of emotional resilience with a quick intervention that I can do in one of those breaks in a you know in an hour where we're taking 10 minutes off of the end of each hour to stand up and stretch now i know if i've only got five minutes this is going to make the difference and have me go from a a low 50s to a low 60s in the next hour that that's a huge leverage point for my effectiveness um uh, john what are i i think i think we might we might want to break this conversation up and and into uh kind of hrv and and, and breathing Speaking specifically to HRV, what are what are some things that someone could, maybe one thing that someone could 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 plug in today, and maybe we've already touched on it. What's one thing someone can plug in today to start to maybe understand HRV better? Uh, oh, actually, we're gonna we're gonna help with that. We'll we'll put some resources into the uh, into the show notes. But uh, maybe what's what one one practice or uh, 
yeah, what's one practice somebody could take on today to start improving their HRV? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the first thing you could do if you're going to go down the road of investing in some wearable technology is to get a baseline. So what that would look like is every day for seven days when you first wake up, um, start testing. It takes about two minutes and it's a passive thing. You put the strap on or you put the finger sensor on or whichever technology you're using. You go to your smartphone app. Again, I use the Elite HRV app. It's a free app. Um, and you press morning readiness and you start it. And it counts down for about two minutes. And over time, about seven days, it'll give you a baseline. It'll show you like where you're at at this stage of life in terms of HRV. And that will give people an understanding of kind of where their starting point is. If they want to go further, then it would be looking at like, what is the impact of, you know, if I drink alcohol the night before, do I see a dip the next day in my HRV? If I stayed up all night watching horror movies on Netflix, does that have an impact on my HRV? If I got to bed early and I did a, you know, I went into the hot tub or the IR sauna or something the night before, does that have an impact? So you're starting to see kind of big picture activities or practices that have an impact. What I think people will notice if they take on that recommendation is that all of these things that are typically talked about in the personal development or peak performance state, things like sleep, active recovery, the importance of a good diet, the importance of hydration, staying away from caffeine and alcohol and sugar. Sorry for those of you who don't. Um, you'll start to see how that actually shows up on the court with a higher HRV score. And the last thing I'd want to say, George, is over time, I think I and you, we've developed a sense in any given moment, I've just got an ongoing awareness now of where I'm at, whether I'm sympathetic or whether I'm parasympathetic. And I think that's the most valuable thing for people to get is to get in tune with what's going on with my nervous system. Where am I at from an HRV perspective, even if I don't have access to my, to my wearable tech and my smartphone? Yeah, I think that's great. Those are, uh, uh, um, yes, I agree. And I, 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 I want to be clear that it's, it's not really magic. It is, it is a matter of um, uh, tracking that over some time. You really do. You start to become in tune with, with, uh, with where you're at kind of on that, on that, on that curve or on that, on that gas gauge. Um, and I, and I like what you said about um, kind of, uh, I would agree a hundred percent that uh, getting a, um, getting a, a, a starting to track your HRV is, 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 is really step one. And once you're doing that, uh, paying close attention to what, what's impacting it, uh, what your diet, your exercise, what, if I, if I work out really, really, really hard on one day, what does that do to, uh, to my HRV, the, you know, the following day? Uh, I think that's important to pay attention to. That's what, uh, that's cer certainly what that what athletes are, are are doing, and they're and they're structuring their their training plans such that they're not, um, you know, going a hundred percent every single day because that's not actually how uh, we get our best results. We need we need rest, we need recovery, and all those all those pieces start to fit together. John, like what you're talking about with that with uh, you know, when you start to incorporate good diet and, and fueling those efforts and things. Um, uh, yeah, you can. You can. It starts to. It starts to make sense. Um, and then, to your point, you can start to. You can start to feel that, and kind of. Uh, you don't need to rely necessarily on the on the tool on the tools as much. Um, you can start to feel that uh, for yourself and make decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're making. You know, still making an informed decision. 
it, for me, it's like the jigsaw puzzle pieces start to come together. And the fulcrum is having an HRV score, both what is my HRV and then what is this derived number that we call like an HRV readiness score. Um, it connects on one side how I feel when my HRV is higher. Because I'll notice on the days where I've got a high HRV and I've got a like a 10 readiness score, that's 10 out of 10, like it's a gold star, go for it. I feel great and I can take on the world. It's really, it is that state of elevated consciousness and elevated performance that we've been talking about. I can also feel that when I get a three on my readiness score and I'm super sympathetic, I can tell, I can feel the cortisol in my system. I can tell what's happening in my body and the performance is lower and just the ease of being in my skin is much lower. So that's one of the sides of the puzzle piece is like, I get to see what is the impact of this arbitrary number. And there's a real, there's a real material significant impact. On the other side, the other puzzles piece is I can see when I drink alcohol, I no longer drink alcohol partly because of this. And I went a long time debating on whether I should or whether I shouldn't or whether I should do it in moderation. And finally I could see like literally every time I would drink, there's a dip in the next day or two in my heart rate variability, which now I can equate to, I feel worse. I perform worse. And like you said, it's an informed decision because once you connect those pieces for yourself, it's all very personalized, right? Then you can start saying, it's not worth it. Whatever benefit I'm getting from staying up late or drinking or having high sugar refined foods, it's not worth it. It's not worth the two or three days of impact that I have to deal with after the fact.